Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. Every day now for the past week or so, President Trump and his coronavirus task force, they go out to the White House podium to brief reporters and the nation uh, about important information relating to testing or drug trials or travel restrictions uh, and what have you. Uh, But what we are learning more than ever is how much uh, the truth from our national leadership uh, matters in moments like this. And uh, we aren't always getting that complete story from President Trump, which obviously has been uh, a story of the Trump presidency itself. This is not the first time in American history uh, that uh, the federal government has been in a position like this. And uh, we know President Trump is not the biggest history buff, but there actually are lessons to be learned, which is why I am thrilled to be joined by my colleague, John Avalon, CNN senior political analyst. You all know him uh, from New Day, and he's taking some time to chat with us here. John, I should note, has kindly pulled over to the side of the road here to have this conversation with us uh, as he is on uh, a bit of a road trip. Uh, John, thanks so much for being here. My great pleasure, my man. A lot to talk about. Um, so, So I know you have taken a look at history, specifically around the 1918 Spanish flu and President Woodrow Wilson, who I don't think gets the very highest marks on his handling of, of that. Um, but what when you look back at that, John, and I know it's a totally different era of medical technology and capabilities. It's a totally different communications era, obviously. But do you believe there are lessons to be learned? Absolutely. I mean, very often, especially when we Uh, are in what feels like unprecedented circumstances. You know, history can give us a sense of context and comfort and courage and perspective. We can learn from history. Um, And, and, you know, I I, I spoke about this on Reality Check on on New Day today, where I I really dug into the history because, you know, I'm that kind of a nerd. Um, and and this <laughs> we appreciate it. Well, you know, it felt, felt we're all, we're all nerds of some kind or another. But uh, the, the Spanish flu ep- epidemic from um, 1918 really puts what we're dealing with now in perspective. Um, this was a global pandemic, despite the name, the Spanish flu. It was believed to have begun in a uh, Kansas Army base in the spring of 1918, but it took over the world. Some 50 million people. Uh, were affected. And in the United States alone, 675,000 died. Um, and and it's really been, you know, was, was sort of erased from our memory to some extent. But uh, I always grew up hearing about it because some members of my family died in this uh, pandemic. Um, what's striking when you look back at how the Wilson administration uh, responded um, was that uh, it really is a lesson in what not to do. And that can be a, a perfectly useful uh, tool from history as well. Uh, first off, they really, the initial government response, given the fact that they really didn't have a lot of technology or precedent, um, was denial. Stunningly, Woodrow Wilson never talked about the Spanish influenza epidemic. Keep in mind, this killed more than— And that was, was, that, that was deliberate on his part, not what, to talk about it. it. It was. It was deliberate because this was all happening in the buildup uh, into World War One, U.S. involvement. Uh, October of 1918 was actually arguably the deadliest month in American history uh, where it really crested. But we won the war in November uh, when things started to fade. Wilson himself, it turns out, was actually afflicted by the disease when he was negotiating uh, in Paris for for the peace talks. But he never spoke of it because he was afraid uh, that it would hurt wartime morale. 
um, which is kind of stunning. But in Washington, D.C., much like today, public schools were closed. The Supreme Court stopped hearing oral arguments. There really was an attempt to shut down. So while the government itself set a terrible precedent for really uh, being in denial and not communicating clearly, and that wasn't just Wilson, that was uh, the Surgeon General at the time, sort of assuring people that more or less everything would be fine. Local authorities really uh, setting an example for us and what not to do, particularly in the city of Philadelphia, where they had a, a massive parade and fair. Uh, and, and within 48 hours, a thousand Philadelphians were dead and 200,000 were sick. Um, but what worked was even then social distancing. They knew enough to implement it although it was done unequally and some cities pulled back too fast. But that's one of the ways uh, they got it under control. And Sanjay uh, Gupta, our colleague, uh, had an amazing graph on air today showing the difference between Philadelphia, where they utterly failed at social distancing until it was too late, and St. Louis, where they really embraced it at the time. And the curves... And the results were just so dramatically different. I mean, unbelievable. Exactly. And, and so there you see... Um, that even in 1918, this ain't rocket science, this works, it slows the spread. Um, Another kind of stunning thing I found was uh, the mayor of Pittsburgh at the time, on the other end of Pennsylvania, uh, was looking around and didn't seem to be much a problem. So he said, we don't have a problem here. So he really resisted the calls to shut down public events and restaurants and bars. And soon the death toll uh, was was for a time rivaling Philadelphia. Um, So it's just a stunning a stunning reminder that what's old is new but the old lessons apply did did wilson ever adjust his approach throughout he did not it is stunning there's a great biography of woodrow wilson called the moralist spanish influenza epidemic is not even mentioned directly um he never spoke about it um again it was in the context of you know the world at war and and the the disease really uh, you know it began in the spring of 1918 it spread over to europe and then it, it basically faded in the summer but then it came back with a vengeance in the fall which is one reason why epidemiologists are warning that you know we need to take the long view of this um but then it 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 faded away and was almost erased um, from from historical memory in a very weird way. You'd think if six hundred and fifty thousand Americans died in a in in the pe- period of basically a year, um, that uh, it, it would have left an indelible mark on an administration on on the national psyche. Uh, but people compartmentalized it away in a way that's not particularly helpful. I think. John, I want you to hear this exchange that President Trump had in the briefing room today uh, with NBC's Peter Alexander, uh, who, you know, uh, was asking him just about uh, the kind of communications that that President Trump uh, was providing. And if indeed that was giving uh, what Alexander called a false sense of hope. And Trump just lashed out. Is it possible that your impulse to put a positive spin on things may be giving Americans a false sense of hope? No, I don't think so. The I don't preparedness think so. right now. No, I don't think so. I think that it may work and it may not work. I feel good about it. That's all it is. Just a feeling. I, you know, I'm a smart guy. What do you say the Americans were scared, though? I guess nearly 200 dead, 14,000 who were sick, millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. I think it's a very nasty question. Um, Look, 
Once again, we see the president's impulses getting the better of him, and more importantly, the office he holds. Uh, the presidency is, as FDR once said, primarily a place of moral leadership. And one of the clear lessons of the presidency in general, but especially in times of crisis, is that people depend on the president to tell the truth. And when there becomes a credibility gap or a credibility chasm in the case of President Trump, because of the way he has conducted himself, uh, really not adjusting from being a hype man in real estate to being the president, um, he can uh, mislead the nation. One of the big takeaways is tell the truth. You want to reduce panic, you tell people the truth. The president has a problem with that. And uh, if you look at the, the tail of the tape over the course of this year, from when the pandemic was first reported in China um, and how it spread here, the president consistently was telling people we had it totally under control. David Leonard did a great TikTok of this in the New York Times earlier this week. We've been chronicling it on CNN, uh, and people like Daniel Dale have been fact-checking the president's comments throughout. But the reality is that, you know, President Trump's superpower politically is, is what might be called his reality distortion field. Um, he can convince himself and many of his supporters that facts don't matter. And that can work in, in, in peacetime, as it were. Uh, but the coronavirus is his kryptonite. The pandemics don't care about partisan politics. They don't give in to spin. And the president did not level with either himself or the American people on a number of fronts, telling people how serious it was, getting testing in place, telling people, you know, anyone can have a test that wants a test before tests were widely available. Um, th there's going to be plenty of room to go over and distill what went wrong. But the reality is America's playing catch up. We're on the back foot. I think the administration has been very well served in recent days and, and weeks uh, by putting uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and uh, Dr. Deborah Burks up front, because this is a time to listen to public health experts. This is a time to listen to scientists. And the more they're driving the administration's response, the better off we all are, because they still, appropriately, have credibility with the American people. The president has squandered his on this front. I think Vice President Pence has done a better job uh, communicating for the administration as well. But this is a time for us all to listen to public health experts. But their effectiveness is going to be rooted in the belief that by the American people that they're being told the truth and the administration is being proactive. We beat back major pandemics before. We stopped a potential pandemic with Ebola just, you know, in the last several years. Um, we beat back polio. Uh, you know, we, we've had great accomplishments in this country. We, this is not an undiscovered country. We will get through this. But the president's impulse to not tell the truth, to put a positive spin on everything, has not served us or his administration well. And this is going to get worse before it gets better. We all need to be clear about that. This is going to be a rough ride. Yeah, Joe Biden on a on a conference call with reporters this afternoon uh, said, "Mr. President, stop swerving between overpromising and buck passing." In a, uh, sort of his line <laughs> against uh, the president today, John. Before I, I uh, let you go, I I do. In addition to the public health calamity on our hands, there is also going to be an economic calamity on on our hands that could be. Uh, depression-like in ways uh, when when all is said and done here. That is where our uh, elected officials uh, in Congress and the White House need to be front and center uh, and and be in that lead spot the way you described uh, Fauci and, and Burks are in, in the medical side of things. Um, and, and they are trying to hammer out 
uh, a deal right now. Uh, and, you know, bipartisanship has been something that has just totally eluded the Capitol. Uh, I know that an emergency like this could potentially get everyone on the same page, but I'm also somewhat skeptical that they've all remembered how to govern. Look, this is a no-brainer. Crises have historically always cut through all kinds of bipartisanship because the national interest should be preeminent in people's minds. That muscle memory has totally atrophied. Um, and, and look, you're seeing in proposals being put forward by the White House and Republicans, things that uh, dwarf frankly, the kind of bailouts and stimulus packages that the Bush and Obama administrations used when we had the, the beginning of the Great Recession and the financial crisis in our hands. And you're not hearing boo from the usual suspects who condemned uh, that kind of spending before. I'll say also that this is the time to do big spending. And if you're a fiscal conservative, it's a reason why you want to have low deficits and debts so you uh, can spend money in a major way in a crisis as in we are now. Unfortunately, we have drawn up our deficits and debts through feel-good tax cuts to goose an already hot economy. And, 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 the, and the administration, I'm not convinced, and the uh, Congress is acting either fast enough to stop the impact on small businesses comprehensively enough or in a bipartisan enough fashion. This is exactly the kind of thing that should be bipartisan. All of a sudden, you got a bunch of born-again Keynesians on the Republican side of the aisle. But this needs to be done fast. The impact is going to be devastating to a lot of small businesses and people who live paycheck to paycheck. Um, it's going to force us to take a really hard look at a lot of the underlying inequities of our health care system between urban and rural, between states that didn't take Medicaid expansion. There's going to be time to think about the public policy implications of this. But people are going to be hurt in terms of their health and in terms of their wallet. We are going to be, you know, as a matter of social distancing, we have already shut down a huge swath of the economy, but it's incumbent upon government to take action to mitigate the fallout. And, and this is a great example of why government exists, why it's necessary, uh, whatever philosophical arguments you want to have on, on the right balance between these things. If this can't get people in Washington together, I don't know what can. And I got to say, I don't know if you all heard the, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin's comment the other day uh, where he told the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal, he said, well, you know, I mean, at most 3.4 percent of the population, uh, you know, is, is, you know, may die from this. Uh, and, and, and that's probably an aggressive number, by the way, it is. Dr. Anthony Fauci believes the number to be closer to 1 percent. But he said, we don't shut down the uh, economy over a couple of uh, thousand highway deaths. Just to be clear, um, you know, if the, the worst case scenario numbers from the WHO uh, are real, 3.4% of the national population, uh, th that's basically almost twice Wisconsin's total population. We are talking about yeah, totally, totally irresponsible comments. Just, just absurd. Yeah. And so you got to call that stuff out. It, it, it's outrageous. Yeah. Unfortunately, John, you know, history uh, provides a guide here too on the economic front. And it's just, uh, even even if they get their stuff together and they are able to get this big package out quickly and into people's hands, there is going to be so much more work to do here in the way that people think this economic impact is going to occur. 100%. And this is a time to remember uh, that we all are in this together. Despite all our interesting differences as Americans, uh, we need to think bigger. We need to be more focused and constructive in our politics, less destructive and divisive. It shouldn't take a crisis and a calamity to remind us of it. Often it does. But let's let's try to live up to the better angels of our nature. Let's try to find a way to work together. Because guess what? Folks on Main Street American are doing it. And they should be able to figure it out in Washington, D.C. as well.
John Avalon, get back to your road trip. Stay safe with your family. Thanks a lot for being here. Appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you, David. A special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.